Who is here this morning? Anybody here this morning? Yeah, well, I said this morning there are two things that the Lord is doing amongst us that perhaps need our attention and our alignment and our agreement and our investment. And one was the whole arena of prayer. It seems to me that it's the Father's great delight in this hour to open us up to deeper places of revelation. How many of us are excited about that adventure? And when God is moving in that kind of way, the only sensible thing to do is to say yes. <laughs> Why would we resist the passion of the Father who delights to bring us into deeper places of intimacy? It would be ludicrous to think that we could ignore the advances of a God who is intentional about just about every aspect of our lives, and he welcomes us and bids us to come a little closer, to move a little nearer to him, to come and to rest upon his goodness and live and abide in his kindness. And so prayer is not something we do, it's something we're becoming. God is doing something in us so that he can do something through us. So many times we've allowed prayer to become something that we do as part of our program as Christians. But Ephesians 6.18 says this, we should be in the spirit at all times. In other words, there's a consistent connection in relationship with the Father that we can have by the power of the Spirit at all times. I can live in the Spirit whether I'm in this room or I'm in some other room. I can have access to the God who knows everything about everything, whatever circumstance or situation or context I find myself in. I want to know how to live with that kind of clarity, with that kind of reality, to be the house of God to be a house of prayer for the nations, that he would abide in me, he would fill me with his fullness, and he would use me to his glory. That would be my prayer. But also, I said this morning that God is moving, not just through the prayer life of our church, but he's moving in the worship. And I think tonight you could probably sense there's a freshness that's come and is coming and will continue to come. I said this morning that the songs are but vehicles to get us to his presence. It doesn't matter whether you're in a Ferrari or you're going in a Mini. It doesn't matter how you get there. In the words of Alita Adams, I don't care how you get there. Get there if you can. There are hills and mountains before us. And the truth is there are obstacles to us coming into the presence of God. And so we love worship. Worship teaches us how to relax and to trust in his goodness. It teaches us how to connect with the reality of his presence. And actually beyond the song, there's a place of abiding that comes. You know, I've been in meetings over the years where the song just seems so peripheral to what the Spirit is doing. We kind of move past it very quickly. And I sense in days that lie ahead, that will exactly be what happens here. The song will just cause us to quickly enter. You know where we end at that big crescendo? That will be the starting place in your home before you get to the church. God will so awaken your soul to relationship with Him that actually the bus that you're traveling on or the tube that you're going in or the car that you're in will actually be alive with the presence of God. You will infect everything around you because the song of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the fullness of the Lord will be so infectious to those who are in your orbit. So those are two things that are worth paying attention to. They're two things that are worth just considering and pondering and coming into some kind of uh, agreement with God just to align myself with that is an important thing because when I come into alignment, I have assignment. My alignment opens up my assignment. Sometimes I've spent years asking God to do things and I failed to see what God was actually doing. <laughs> Sometimes I've wanted God to move in this way or to, you know, create something in that particular dynamic. And all the time, the invitation is always to the church, not to dictate to God or direct God's traffic, but actually to find out where he is moving and to move with him, to partner with him until we start to see more of his kingdom come and more of his will being done. 
So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about our call to fight. We have some marching orders in the spirit realm. God is gathering troops, gathering soldiers from all kinds of walks of life. He's taking people from the back to the front. He's taking some from the front to the back. God is reorchestrating his purposes because there's a time and a moment in the seasonality of God where we need to be postured, completely and utterly ready, praying with Jesus into all the things that are happening in the world around us. I believe every believer is called on a special assignment. Now, there are things that God will open up to you and open up for you that I could never enter because it's your identity in him that releases his destiny through you. So some of us will have certain assignments that look odd. They will not sit particularly well with the church because they will be things that are more about blessing people outside of the building than they are about gathering people to the building. You know, I hear stories of people standing on street corners where people are selling their bodies at all hours of the night and they stand there and they intercede and they cry tears over the brokenness of human lives. Now, that is not the kind of ministry that we would feel very comfortable with inside these walls, but actually outside the walls, as God begins to raise up an army of people, taking ground and overwhelming the city with his goodness, we will start to see all kinds of ministries crop up. Do you know that there are people standing outside the gates of our schools peddling drugs? A time is coming, has already come, where Christians will be outside schools prophesying over the children as they're coming in and out. God is going to awaken warriors in such a way that they're going to speak life over every context. So we have a special assignment, and it's our responsibility to find out who we are in God and why we're here on earth. The two most important questions we can ever discover this side of heaven is, who is God to me? Now, that may sound a little bit individualistic, but actually God is very unique and very specific in the way that he introduces himself to people. You see, I did not get saved inside a church building. For years, I didn't recognize that as part of my story, but actually, I am most effective, to be honest with you, outside the church building. Someone would say to me, you need to get out a little bit more, Simon. When I find myself in context where people don't know Jesus, there is something about that particular environment that just awakens something inside of me. I think it was you that prophesied over me a couple of weeks ago, I don't know your name, that lady, that God is going to use what I carry in my life to engage people who don't know Jesus with the reality of who Jesus is. I find when I start to peep, talk to people outside of the church who have no frame of reference for Jesus, they are absolutely smitten with the God that I'm able to introduce to them. A God of love and kindness and joy and peace and fullness. And I have never had anyone say to me, I'm not interested in Jesus. I have quite a few people say to me, I'm not interested in church. But enough of the church board. Oh, you're a bit slow tonight. You need to wake up. So we have a special assignment. God has given you something unique that only you can do and only you can accomplish while you're here on the earth. And the key to that is discovering who he is for you. Is there anybody here tonight who knows him as father? Now, before you go there in your head, and we're quick to respond sometimes, I don't mean do you have a theological understanding that God is your father. I mean that you know that you know that you know that you know that he is the father who delights in you. Well, you have a revelation. And because you have a revelation, you can start a revolution. Out of your revelation, you can bring a revolution to somebody else's heart and life. You can pass on what has been given to you. You can share the bread that has satisfied your soul. And you can awaken another heart to the delight the Father has 
in humanity. What about anybody know him to be the lover that they've been searching for? Anybody have that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus? One or two? See, we're a bit scared of this. We don't mind him as a father, but we're not quite sure about the lover thing. We should read the, the Song of Songs. When you know God as your lover, you have this divine obsession with pleasing him. You're attentive to his voice. You're considerate in everything you do. And you're obsessed with making sure that you never lose eye contact with the one who has stirred your soul. You are roused on the inside with such passion you would go through hell and high water to make sure that your display of love for him is indeed demonstrated. And there is nothing that you wouldn't do for him. So how many of us would like a revelation of God from a lover point of view? Come on. <laughs> Suddenly we're waking up. That's good news. If you carry that revelation, do you know that the most important thing about that revelation is that humanity was created from intimacy for intimacy. And if you're carrying that revelation of the intimacy you have with God, just about every room you stand in, that's exactly what people are looking for. Everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be pursued and everybody wants to be loved. You have a powerful instrument in the revelation that God has given you. In a world so self-seeking, you can become the most selfless person in every environment and you can connect people with the God who brings life to every part of the human soul. What an assignment. Amen. What an assignment. So I've learned over the years that I can't have what I haven't been given. You know, if I haven't received something from God, I can't give it away. I can pretend, I can fake it till I make it, but I never make it. But out of the revelation of who he is for me and who I am in him, I start to live a little bit more intentionally because I have an assignment, a special assignment that I have been asked by God to make sure that I accomplish here on the earth. And that assignment is warfare. That's where I fight from. And it's what I fight for. So my assignment is to take the presence of God and to make it accessible to the people around me. That's my assignment. I have to walk with that reality and walk with that clarity in every facet of my life. I'm a warrior from the position of wonder. So I'm warring in the heavenly realms for people to have encounter consistently seeking God. Father, will you break through? I don't know if you ever catch my face sometimes. You should be worshiping Jesus. Don't be looking at me. But when I look over there and you're catching something of the presence of God, I feel all of my Christmases have come at once. Because my heart's desire is that you would encounter him. My heart's desire is that those little times I've had with him that have changed everything about my life, actually you would be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. My heart's desire is that we move from songs into a place of connecting with him and life begins to flow. And the sound of his voice, the sound of many rushing waters brings healing and restoration to the human soul. So I have an assignment. That means I have war. I have to war against anything that would hinder God from moving in that way. And it makes what I'm about a lot clearer and it makes me lethal to the tactics and to the plans that the enemy has against the church. If I have not facilitated that which God has set in my heart to do, then I'm not really standing at my guard. I'm not standing in my gatepost. I'm not taking my assignment seriously. 
and my assignment is why I'm here, and it's what I'm called for, and it's what I've been given by God to do. And finding that comes out of knowing who God is for you and knowing who you are in God. When you have clarity about those two things, you start to live a little differently. But in amongst all of that, we're living in a time and a season where God is raising up special forces. God is beginning to hijack certain lives and certain situations, and he's raising up an elite army of intercessors that are starting to proclaim and prophesy into an atmosphere, into a context so that God can move in power. Do you know that London is ripe for a move of God? Hello, you don't sound very sure in the balcony. London is ripe for a move of God. Now, I know when you look at the news and you see all the stuff that's going on, it doesn't look very positive. It doesn't look very engaging. But actually, it should be a sign to us that God is about to move in power. We should not be paralyzed by what the enemy's doing. We should be energized by what the Spirit's doing. And it's going to take a shift in our thinking to align ourselves with hope-filled intercession actually calling into being that which God has intended for the earth. God is raising up some spiritual forces, some special forces rather, in the kingdom of God. And they're going to go out and they're going to change the world because that's what special forces do. I use this phrase, I nicked it from someone, God's secret weapons of mass destruction. That's who you are, that's who I am. That's why we're here, that's what spiritual warfare truly looks like. So let me recap before we go to the scripture. We're going to talk about some things tonight about walking in that reality. The first thing I said to you was what? Do you remember? It was definitely hello. I said that God has invited us as a people to do two things currently, which are his invitations, worship and warfare. Yes, prayer and worship. He's beginning to move in us and through us in that kind of way. And in that environment, in that climate, we're going to start to align ourselves with him so he can start to move more powerfully in and through our lives. The key to operating in fullness is knowing who he is for us. Amen. Who he is for us. That's a very unique thing in each one of our lives and who we are in him. And out of that, we'll start to be clear about our assignment here on this earth And we'll start to operate out of the authority that's been given to us, not trying to find an authority by doing something else that somebody else has been given to do. So let's go to our key verse for tonight. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Every one of us is called to that kind of assignment. It doesn't matter whether you know him as father or you've discovered him as lover or you're completely smitten by the fact that he is a a God who heals and restores. Whatever it is that you've been given, your assignment is to make him known while you're here on the earth. And that's your place in the army of God. That's the rank that you're in. You know, uh, often I've been in a few churches over the years. I find that I have a tribe. 
somewhere, some group of people that I feel a little bit more at ease with, where I don't have to explain myself or indeed qualify who I am. Let me tell you where that tribe is for me. The worship team. Every environment I go in, I feel like I'm part of it anyway. You know, and I lead from the floor. I'm leading all the time. God, let us sing this song. Let's go. Because that's my assignment. That's what God has created me. Another place I feel quite at home is, is intercessors. Well, most of the time I feel home with intercessors, particularly if they're happy intercessors. I'm not that comfortable with grumpy intercessors. Have you noticed that some people claim to have the gift of intercession? But I think it's probably the gift of intersection. You know, I think they've probably taken what was a good thing and made it a bad thing. Sometimes intercessors can be miserable. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. They can be miserable. Sometimes intercessors, they're carrying all these burdens for the Lord and they need to allow the Lord to carry them with them. Sometimes, you know, their hearts are downcast because they're trying to press through and have breakthrough for people and they've not seen some of the evidences of that. But actually, there's a new breed of intercessor coming to the fore. They're called happy intercessors who carry the joy of God in their hearts and their lives. They're out with the old miserable ones. We're going to upgrade our thinking and we're going to become joyous. Oh, please, come on. We're going to become joyous. So whoever you are and wherever you are, whatever you know and whatever you carry, that's your position where you are meant to minister to the Lord and indeed affect the world from. You can't be what you've not been given. You have beheld him in a particular way. Now you have been given an authority in that revelation to make him known to people around your life. And staying there can be quite troublesome. Because we look at other people's gifting and we'd like to be like them. We try and copycat. I call it karaoke Christianity. We're trying to sing somebody else's song when you have been given a song to sing. There is no one on the earth that can release Jesus in the way that you release Jesus into context and situations. You have a unique sound in God as a result of the unique gift you have from God. And if you don't bring your voice to the fore, you can't sing and you shouldn't really be bothered about singing somebody else's song. God has put a new song in your heart. It's a song that brings redemption when it's carried in humility. When we're walking in integrity, we start to see that it has the power to change everything in its wake. Even barrenness in spiritual environments. You know, I've gone into places and I felt God say to me, just sing over the people, sing over the people. And, you know, I can, I, before I came here, I was kind of looking after a few churches. And, and I would go into places and you think, God, I'm not sure you're here. If you are, you're hiding somewhere. And, and God would say to me, just sing, just prophesy in song. And, you know, I was reminded that what happens whenever you start to take your assignment seriously and sing your own song and stop singing everybody else's song, actually you're standing in an authority that brings heaven to earth. And, and often I would sing and I'd feel like a, such an awkward person. You know, some of those churches I used to go to, they would just be tiny and bleak and really, you know, you wanted God to move in power and the pastor was worn out and his wife was worn in and the whole thing was was just like, just, just very difficult. And, and so I would go there and, and it would feel very inadequate, very inadequate to stand in environments that looked like they needed something powerful and just sing. And then God began to speak to me. He said this to me, 
He said, when you sing, the barren woman will conceive. When you sing, the womb of this church will start to come alive. When you sing, you will open up possibilities for the incarnation of Christ to come. And these people will carry something that will become a legacy and a destiny for them. When you sing, when you stand in the place that you're assigned, no matter where that happens to be, no matter how the circumstances look, and you speak into that which God has called you to, life begins to form. And you know, I started to do that. And at times it just, as I said, felt very awkward and just a little bit peculiar, you know. And sometimes when I'm praying for people too, who I think, sorry, I won't tell you this. When I'm praying for people who I think need something special from God or something deep for God, I will just sing over them. Not because I can't think of anything to say. If you've been around me longer than 10 minutes, I never shut up. Okay, I'm a man of many words. I've kissed the blarney stone, swallowed it. <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm standing in my revelation. And I'm standing in God's divine orchestration. I'm standing in the authority that is mine to see and to experience an encounter. And I'm standing, positioning myself so that the place and context around me can receive something through me that is God-like for them. We are all called to live with that kind of clarity. All called by God to those types of assignments. And your assignment is no more or less than mine. It's just different. It's fashioned out of your unique relationship with Christ. And it's the place where you will feel most alive. When you're standing in your assignment, you know, it doesn't matter what the enemy does. And it doesn't matter what people say. You're standing in your truest identity. And you can be who you are. And I have this phrase that comes out of the scriptures. This is who I am. And this is who I'll be. I am growing in my capacity to stay true to the truth of who I am in Christ Jesus. When I step outside of that anointing, I'm stepping on somebody else's anointing. Yeah? And I've tried all that. You know, I've tried to be, you know, a theologian. But when you're called to the gift of prophecy and intimacy and, and, and creating an environment for people to connect with God, it's almost like saying to the Father, I'm not satisfied with who you've called me to be. I think you made a mistake, God. You should have made me like R.T. Kendall. Now, I'm sure you've all prayed those prayers. I've prayed them every time I hear them. Oh, God, make me like R.T. Kendall. And God says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm making you more like Christ Jesus. As I become more like Christ Jesus, I'll be more effectual in the place and the assignment that God has put on my life. Here's a couple of things that may be important for us to understand. The first thing is verse 3. It says this, <clears throat> that we, that's us, though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, we have a different perspective on things. You know, if you don't know Jesus, you have every right tonight to feel hopeless every right. If you don't know Jesus personally, we have no real expectation on you to live a hope-filled life. Why? Because Christ in me is the hope of glory in my heart. Without Christ in me, I'm seeing the world very differently. I see anarchy, I see pain, I see brokenness. It's 1 Corinthians, I think some of you are looking for the scripture, aren't you? Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Okay. 
So we need a new perspective. And the first thing I believe that starts to form in us when we understand who we are in God and why we're here for God is we start to see that we're living from a different place. And real intercession and real warfare has to come from the high place that's placed on your life where it says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you're praying from a perspective that's less than that, you're praying out of your old self. You're not praying out of your new reality as a new creature in Christ. The old has gone and God has done all and made all things new. Though we're in the world, we don't see the world the way the world sees itself. And therefore, we're not caught up with the carnality of fighting and masquerading and jostling for position and, and manipulating people. We don't need to do anything like that because we have been given elevated status with Christ Jesus. Our perspective, therefore, is never problem-orientated. It's always promise-demonstrated. You see, for somebody who lives out of their new and truest identity, they're not looking for what is wrong. They're looking for where God is right. They start to see the world differently. They see people differently. They see circumstances differently. Why? Because they're seated with Christ, the great high priest who's interceding day and night over all humanity. And they're caught up with the whirlwind of his love and his passion for, for people. And they're listening and they're praying alongside what he's praying. Praying from a perspective that's joy-filled. Praying from a perspective that's hope-robust. Praying from a perspective that knows the end before the beginning. Therefore, anything that happens between Alpha and Omega is covered in Christ Jesus. When we start to live with that kind of clarity, we start to have a sense of authority in the way that we are fighting. And church, I want to just say this to you, and I say this with respect. Whether you want to fight or not, you are in a battle. You are the enemy of somebody that you can't see, but he's doing everything in his power to destroy you. And he's after three things in your life, your faith, your hope, and your love. He's not after your kids. He's not after your job. He's not after, he's after the things that are eternal, faith, hope, and love. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. So in every circumstance I find myself in, I know that I'm waging war with the enemy in my truest identity, walking with Christ in my new reality, operating from an elevated place in my thinking and my perspective on all things. But actually, the enemy is not after the temporal. He's after the eternal. He wants to steal from me my love for Jesus Christ. He wants to steal from me my faith in Christ and all that he's accomplished. And he wants to steal from me the hope that is mine through all that Jesus has done. You're in a battle whether you want to be or not. So we need to think from an elevated perspective. We need to think differently about who we're fighting. You know, the enemy may be loud, but simply he's this, a mouse with a megaphone. You know, when, when you look at the scriptures, you realize that he's a defeated foe. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Satan is under my feet. At the moment, all I can feel is carpet, but Satan is under my feet. In other words, God has placed him beneath me. Hello? Now, sometimes I think we think that God and Satan are equal. They're not equal. Do you know that even Satan has to work to God's plan? All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So even when he's taking his greatest crack at you, 
God is standing above all things and saying, go on, hit them again, because when you hit them again, they're going to fall on their knees, recognize the truth of who they are in Christ Jesus. They're going to rise up as more than conquerors. They're going to take you out over and over again. And they're going to, God will use, use the enemy's tactics to bring you into greater expressions of hope. Hello? Greater expressions of love and greater expressions of faith. He is a defeated foe. So we need to have that kind of perspective. We also need to see ourselves the way we truly are. Do you know that you are a child of the king? <laughs> Do you know that God has given you a birthright in Christ Jesus to decree and declare new things? Your mouth isn't your mouth anymore. It's been redeemed. And it has the power to speak life into situations. The power of life and death is in your tongue. It's actually in your tongue. Now, in your old life, you used your tongue to create death. In your new life, you've been invited to create life, to partner with the one who prophesies over humanity and calls things that aren't as if they are. That is why we're called to prophesy, to speak, to preach, and to declare what God is doing. But you will never do that effectually. You'll never do that with authority unless you start to see yourself the way that God has made you. You are not just a new creature in Christ. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. All the authority that was given to Jesus has now been passed on to you. And you've been the ones that God has commissioned to go and turn the world upside down the right way around in every context, otherwise known as making disciples. You have the power to infiltrate even the darkest places because greater is he who is in you than anything that you face in this world. And so true God-given intercession comes out of the revelation of who we are in relationship to God, what we're here and assigned to do, walking in our truest identity before God, not singing somebody else's song, but singing ours to the best of our ability. And it comes with this clarity that Satan is defeated. So every time I'm praying, I need to pray with that truth. I have been elevated. Every time I'm praying, I need to pray with that truth. I am not under any circumstances if I'm in Christ and above all things. <laughs> I'm praying from a perspective that is now given to me and afforded to me through the work of Christ in me. Therefore, my prayers cannot be hopeless. They cannot sound like I don't believe that God's doing anything. Now, I've been in enough prayer meetings, and you can tell a lot about a person when they pray. If you want to know what's going on in the human soul, listen to people's prayers. I've been in meetings of people who go, God, would you just move? Oh, God, would you break in? Oh, God, would you move in power? And I think, I think he's doing all of those things. You just didn't get the memo. Somehow you didn't realize that Jesus has already come to this earth. And somehow you didn't realize that God has placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. People pray like God's not interested. They pray like God's far off. We sing in church, you're a good, good father. And on a Monday when the gas bill comes, suddenly all that we believe is true has been trashed on the doorstep of financial need. It's time to upgrade our perspective and to start to see who we are in Christ differently. 
I believe that this is fundamental. There's a program, I don't know if you've been watching it on television, it's been around for a few years. It's called, Who Do They Say You Are? Is it called that? Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. And I, and I love that program because they go back into the history of people's families. And inevitably they arrive at something that's a little disappointing, which is always my favorite part. But occasionally, I don't know if you saw one recently, is an actor called Danny Dyer, and uh, he discovered that he was related to royalty. Now, he thinks he must be distantly related to royalty, but he's, his family tree displays that he's related. Do you know from that moment on, he started to refer to himself with a royal context? He even threw a party for to celebrate his royal status. Now, I don't know about you, I find things like that quite amusing, but you know, listen, you, 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 us, we have the blood of Jesus running through our spiritual veins. <laughs> the King of Kings is living in us. Not just a king somewhere from somehow in some time frame, but the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of hosts. The one who rules and reigns over all authorities, over all thrones, over all dominions. You couldn't think more highly of yourself. God is not asking us in the scriptures to beat our chest and say, what a worm I am. True humility is recognizing your God-given identity and standing in your authority. And when you stand in your God-given identity and move in your authority, you are the most humble person in this room. And let me explain how it works in that reality. You can say with confidence, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things, not some things. All things through Christ who strengthens me. So me thinks that we might need a new mindset so that God can do something with us in a more profound way in the days that lie ahead. You have been given elevated status. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's better than first class on the BA flight to New Zealand. It's better. And because he is the God of victory, I live in that reality. Because he's the God who's overcome this world, I live with an overcoming mindset. I am not the tail. I am the head. I am not the last. I am the first. Now, that's not just us rah rahing ourselves to get all excited in a meeting. Actually, tomorrow, when life hits you in the face, you need to live with that kind of clarity. The second thing we need is a new set of skills. Not only do we need a new perspective, we need a new set of skills. Look at verse 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal for the tearing down of strongholds. They have divine power to overcome. So what are the weapons of our warfare? Well, it's clear from the scriptures here that that's not human. It's something that, that's heavenly, something that's been given to us as we have been affected by all that Christ has afforded us. What I believe that looks like is that I am meant to live in the Spirit and from my Spirit and be reliant on the Holy Spirit at all times. Every situation I find myself in, I can access the Spirit's power. I can come into a place of partnership with the availability of the Spirit to bring the kingdom of God to pass. 
every environment I find myself in, I know that the Spirit has an answer to the puzzle or the difficulty or the, the circumstance that absolutely sometimes faces me. And I need to draw from that reality of the Spirit in my life and ask God for wisdom and clarity and words of knowledge and revelation and impartation to afford a moment for the kingdom to come and to affect other people. I need to live from rest and not anxiety. You know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. When the scriptures tell us that he sat down, it's demonstrating to us that the work is completed. If the work is completed, why am I striving? I'm striving because I have a mindset that robs me of the truth and the reality of who I am in Christ Jesus. Now, am I saying that we must be passive? No, I'm not. We must be intentional about living in joy. The weapons of my warfare, which are not carnal, are the supernatural attributes of the Holy Spirit in my love. Life, love, joy, peace, self-control, all of those wonderful things. They are the tools by which God trains my fingers for battle and engages my heart in warfare. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ forming in me. And it's a work in progress, and I'm better than I was, but I'm not everything I want to be. But it's not just, you know some metaphorical picture, it's actually the very essences of God that are abiding in the heart of a person that's in relationship with him, that's been born again, washed in the blood, set free, and positioned with Christ in heavenly places. So I need to develop the skill of living and fighting my adversary from rest. In Psalm 23, it says that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemy. When you are in war, do you imagine that food is the first thing on your mind? Think of the picture. Right in the middle of the battle, why would you sit down? You would make yourself vulnerable if you sat down in true warfare and had a meal. But the picture is more than that. It's God saying to us, you need to operate from the place of completion. You need to do warfare out of the completed work of Jesus Christ. You need to live from your truest identity as a son and daughter of the Most High God. God is not anxious about the world, therefore why should I be? Hello? I need to work from rest and not rest from work. And the reason why that's important, if I don't, if I, my prayer life is based on my effort, if it's based on my energy, well the truth is by Wednesday we're in trouble. But if I can draw for my new identity in Christ, if I can allow the reality that he has finished all that he has finished on behalf of me, I can, I can war from a posture of rest. My mindset is such that it's done, it's finished, it's completed. So when I start to pray, I'm praying from a perspective that's heavenly. I'm not praying from a perspective that's earthly. And that may sound a little bit strange, but actually, it works. Try it. Give it a shot. When I'm praying from the finished work of Jesus, when I'm praying for my truest identity, when I'm praying for my elevated status, I can pray out of rest. That means I can pray more effectively because I'm not striving to attain something. I have already attained what God has done for me through Christ, and I'm, I'm praying out of the overflow of rest. I'm praying out of rest. And so people who pray like that, they pray prayers like this. Jesus, I laugh in the face of the enemy. 
because you have given me a new reality. It is finished, Jesus, concerning me. My sin has been dealt with and you've purchased my life for all eternity. It's written in your book. Therefore, when I speak, I speak from a place of understanding who I am in Christ. And I speak from a posture of the finished and completed work of the God of victory who has won for me every battle that's afforded to me. If I am in Christ, Christ is in rest. And if Christ is in rest, then I can have rest. As I abide in his presence, I begin to access those attributes of his nature and character. Now, when I say Christ is at rest, he's not lying down somewhere, okay? He's not on a holiday in Bermuda. Let's think for a minute. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> Suddenly our minds go elsewhere. Take every thought captive, every vain imagination. <laughs> but he knows with certainty that Satan is defeated. He knows with clarity that Satan is under your feet. He knows gloriously that the battle has been won spiritually and there is no weapon fashioned against you that can prosper. So why would you be striving when the invitation is to abiding? When you abide in the reality of who Christ Jesus is, you live consistently in victory. You're not fighting for breakthrough. It's broken through into you. And you're living with a countenance. And you're living with an atmosphere of the fullness of God in every part of your life. And so when you speak, you speak from the posture of Christ and his completed work. And you speak truth and you speak life. And the enemy can't stand it. I went somewhere in Glasgow once. And there was a guy in a street corner and I could see that he, he was a partner of um, some state with some demonic influences. And I spotted him and he spotted me. <laughs> and there we were on the streets trying to do evangelism. He couldn't take his eyes off me. It's understandable, I know. <laughs> and I couldn't take my eyes off him. And eventually we kind of crossed the street to talk to each other. And he said this to me, he said, this is my territory. Okay, I said, I've got news for you. You're moving house. You're moving house. <laughs> Please don't set up tent here because it's a temporary gig. You were only looking after things until we turned up. You're moving house. Greater is he who is in me <laughs> than the many that's in you. Pack your bags, get out of town. You're not welcome here. Another skill I need to develop is walking in, living in, and abiding in unconditional love. Do you know that unconditional love breaks down some of the barriers that people have in relationship with God? When I can live out of unconditional love, I see people differently. God starts to write different stories when I have that kind of perspective and that kind of reality in my heart. I don't see a this or a that or the other. I just see Oh, look at them, Jesus. Look at that which you placed in them. Oh, God, look at their heart. Oh, look at their story, God. That must have been hard. God just begins to open up my spirit and my soul to seeing what's happening inside people's lives. And you know, my job isn't to go in and say, this happened and you did and that. No, no, no. My God is not to um, <laughs> diagnose <laughs> the problem. My job is to prescribe the medicine. So I don't go in diagnosing the problem. Any fool can diagnose the problem. Well, you've got a few problems. You're able. That's great. My job is to prescribe the antidote and the medicine that God wants to bring. 
And so I find that abiding in unconditional love, enjoying his unconditional love, and living in that kind of reality makes me a target for the enemy because he can't stand that I'm living with that kind of certainty. And, you know, it's not that I have to go chasing things. They sometimes chase me. But when you love and you are loved like that in Christ, there is nothing that can stand in the presence of God's love. Nothing. Because God is love. It's the essence of who he is. And so it causes me to interact with people differently. And I don't see people that are causing me grief. I just see people that haven't quite discovered their truest self in Christ. You know, a number of years ago, um, when I started moving into the things of praying for the sick, there used to be two men that used to come to every meeting. <laughs> and they'd sit on the front row. And you, you may have, have met these type of people before. They were heresy hunters. Have you ever met heresy hunters? Uh, they would write every single word I said down. Okay, and uh, within hours of the meeting, I'd get uh, an email with all of the things I said that wasn't right and how God couldn't possibly move. In fact, one of them, and I don't encourage you to look at these things, they're not very helpful sometimes. One of them went onto the internet and he started to share on the internet how I had demons. Now, what's the irony of this is that I prayed for him and he got delivered from demons. Now, whether he thought that they came and they'd taken over my life, I don't know. But actually, this young man was very, very broken. And in the atmosphere of God's presence, he got gloriously set free from some demonic influences. Clearly, by the internet, not all of them went. But these two guys would come and they'd sit on the front row. And um, often, if we were waiting for the meeting to start, they'd wait outside. And I'd think, oh, my heart would sink. Every time I'd see them, my heart would I'd say, oh, God, please, not again. Not again, Jesus. You know, it was like the two guys off the Muppets. You know those two people up in the balcony? Grumpy and humpy. I mean, everything was wrong. The worship was wrong. The lighting was wrong. There wasn't enough lights to read the Bible. We didn't do 12 hours of intercession. It, whatever it was, it was wrong. And then in this period of time, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> taken by the Lord in a dream to... An environment, I can hear this noise. It's like chink, 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 chink. And I'm with the Lord in the stream and I say to him, what is that? What's going on? Because it felt like every chink was affecting me. And uh, God said, just come a little closer, come a little closer. So he took me by the hand and he led me a little bit nearer. And now the chinks were like blows. I could feel these blows in my heart. I could feel, and every one just got heavier and harder and all of that kind of stuff. And God said to me, don't worry about it. Just come a little closer. And as I drew a little closer with the Lord in this dream, I see this big sheet, this big white sheet. And I could see that underneath it, these people were hammering something. And every time they hammered something, actually it would affect me spiritually in the dream. And I'd feel pain and I'd feel discomfort and I'd cry. And God said, don't worry, just come a little closer. And as we walked a little closer towards this sheet, God just lifted the sheet off it of this thing, and these two men who used to sit on the front row <laughs> in this dream were, st were there with their little chisels and these huge hammers like banging into this thing. And God said, just move a little closer. And as I moved a little closer, I realized that what was happening is that what had been the shape of my face was being changed into the shape of Christ's face. That God was teaching me that every adverse thing was working for me. Every hit 
In fact, I'd say I started to say in the dream, God, tell them to hit harder because I'd like the job to be finished quicker. God, just tell them to get on with it. You know, I'm saying that to you because actually there is a joy in the battle. There's a joy in the battle that comes out of relationship with God. He has everything covered. So we need a new perspective and we need to understand the skills that we've been given. We need to have a new skill set in how we live in intercession. And finally, we need to have a new mindset. Verse 5 says, we demolish arguments with every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is that? What is that scripture all about? I think it's echoed in this one, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, I believe that living in this kind of, of, of relationship with God makes me very instrumental to other people's freedom. It would be easy for us to camp here and say, well, God is changing us through our mindset. And that actually is true. God is changing. You are being renewed as we speak by the renewing of your mind. As we get to think like God on certain issues, we start to change to become a little like God in the way that we live our lives. And that is very true. But can I just, let me whisper to you for a minute. What if that internal transformation of your mindset was far more to do with changing the world around you than it was just changing the world in you? What if the changing of the world in you was the first sign to you of the capacity with Christ in you to change the world around you? If your mind can change and your life can follow suit, then you can be an agent of God to change other people's mindsets. Not to override their opinions, but to offer them a perspective birthed out of this kind of clarity that gives them a different reality. It's important that we understand that what's been given to us is not just for us. It's not just that I am an overcomer in Christ, but through Christ I can help other people become overcomers too. I become God's agent of everything he's given to me, can be given to others, and then it's given back to me, pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. And what God has begun in me, he continues to develop, but also other people get access to it too. So we're not just here praying. It's not just something we do. It's the people we have become. You have a unique assignment. You have been trying to get rid of your confinements and your confinement has been training you for your assignment. God has been teaching your fingers how to do real warfare. You have an identity in Christ and you have a revelation of who God is for you that is the call that's placed on your life. Don't step outside of it. Don't try and run ahead of it. Just walk with God in it and through it, and you will start to discover that when you walk into a room, some things begin to shift because of the identity and the authority through intimacy with God that releases his kingdom.